0: We are sleepless in State College here in a Monday edition of the Lions 24 7 podcast. Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz with you as always. This episode brought to you by Another Die Mound Dew, To Kill a Small Horse, aka The Reason I Can Talk Right Now. Um, No, we don't have a real sponsor, so was me throwing out a fake sponsor there okay? Something that's actually allowed? We can throw out any sponsor they want, they're just not paying us. Okay, good. I mean, we did kind of broach the uh, not safe for work territory last week with the Michael Motti interview, so I think we're kind of into the wild, wild west here of a podcast. But anyway, um, night game, that means a late night for us. Uh, Snap counts never sleep, which means neither do I, and so at 7.15 this morning I was not hitting snooze, but setting it. And I only mention that in the outset in the event that later on uh, in the episode I begin praising Trace McSorley for making 17 tackles or Penn State beating Georgia uh, in a big home game. Uh, but otherwise, it's going to be the same rundown we have every Monday. We'll review Saturday's game. A couple of thoughts from each of us. Findings I've had from studying the film. Give out game balls. A recruiting update from Sean. Check in on the next opponent. This means Iowa. First road trip of the season for Penn State. Iowa's 3-0 right now. Just beat North Texas 31-14 to last weekend. And then predict the presser, uh, as we have for the last couple of weeks. But we need to get better at our updating how we did last week. Which, of course, I mentioned this now, having gone three for three with yeah. my player of the week picks. But I, I think we got to have some accountability I'm, here on I'm pod. stunned that this is the week that you come back to that, <laughs> seeing as how well you did last week. Yes. Uh, I was not shy about that on Twitter. But nonetheless, we'll uh, wrap up with your mailbag questions. A lot of good questions this week. And that helped, of course, because this podcast now has a Twitter account. So uh, many of you have found it. If you have not, follow us there. And uh, we'll stay in touch throughout the week and every Monday and Friday. So, 56 to nothing, About what we expected. Um, I think we were both in the 50s, although we
1: did have Georgia State scoring. Uh, you and I didn't freeze the kicker, but uh, you know uh, Georgia State missed that field goal late in the game to keep it a shutout. I was going to say, you want to start there. We can start there. Uh, yeah, it was right beside the bench as that happened, and there were definitely some personnel issues. They were trying to rush on uh, Parker Cothran and Tyrell Chavis to get in there and there was a lot of young guys on the field at that point so there were personnel decisions going into that but yeah I mean
0: uh there was a bit of freezing there going on I mean this was this actually came up in the press conference it was the second to last question asked of Franklin it was a brief one as we mentioned it's a late night for everybody it's a brief answer they're looking to get well he he gave a decent answer and that honestly as I'm watching up from the press box you mentioned you were there in the field I'm charting who's on the field, and it's a bunch of third- and fourth-string guys. So my interpretation was exactly what he said. We're just trying to get everybody organized, and it's a last-minute thing where now you're converting from defense to special teams. I had no problem with it because I thought that's exactly what they were going right. to do. Right, and, and I had no problem with it
1: either. There was a lot of hands up in the air, especially on that defensive line. Uh, I think they pulled off Ellison Jordan and Antonio Shelton, both redshirt freshman guys. They were playing two other freshman defensive ends, uh, working some young guys in at linebacker as well. So I don't have a problem with it. There were personnel issues. I, I yeah, don't. Just- I don't
0: think there's any... Any question it, about that? It's almost not worth the oxygen. Just right. kind of, did, but it, it did come up, and, it and come I know up. people have asked us about it. Um, so you know, no issues there. <laughs> Big takeaway: we mentioned this in our post game video, which we have on Facebook Live, and then later on the site. Our third straight complete game. All three phases kicking in. No one really starred this week. I think if you had to say one, of course, it would be the offense. But three interceptions defensively, we do not see that very often from this defense. Right. And and they also got the turnover with Daniel Joseph, forcing the fumble late in the game. Uh, Yeah, they were all over the ball. Uh,
1: Of course, Georgia State, the the competition level is... uh, very different than yes. what they will yes. see the rest of the way out. But uh, yeah, I mean, Penn State flew to the ball on defense. I thought they were solid on offense, um, struggled in the run game. I think that's the thing to take away from it. And and when you talk about complete games, it's I think none of the uh, units overwhelm the other. So there's still questions on offense, still questions on defense. And special teams, I don't know that we saw enough on it that I think they're a pretty good unit on, in their own, but I don't know that we saw enough to, to take questions away from that. So
0: No, and Tompkins was aggressive again. I mean, they had a different uh, tactic. Georgia State did with their punt return a lot of low kicks you know wobbly ones knuckle you know football's coming his way but he was aggressive picked it up and I think that's you know, given how things changed for him with what Georgia State presented, I think a good sign because you're not going to gain anything on punt return unless you are aggressive. And he was looked terrified
1: back there as a redshirt freshman. Um, obviously, had some issues with some muffs. So to see that confidence back there, and and not only as a kick returner, but all around, you know, he was Penn State's best receiver at the outset of the game this week. So uh, to see his confidence level where it is now compared to where it was a year,
0: a year and a half ago, I think is a it's a big deal for De- DeAndre Tompkins. Offensively, you know, we talked about the lack of push generated up front in the run game. The other takeaway, the two quarterback package continues to expand as we saw Tommy Stevens catch a touchdown pass on the first series, and then through his first touchdown pass of his Penn State career in the second half. We'll get more into this later, because I think it'll be a really interesting dynamic, particularly when they get to that red zone. You know, the first touchdown was scored 10 yards away. The the second one was when he was just a straight quarterback. But that puts so much pressure on a defense and it's something that while you might look at the offensive line against Stephen Gonzalez, who's that at right guard, you had Will Fries at left guard, you know, there were a lot of positives here for 56 to nothing. So it's something to keep an eye on positively for Stevens, but also that offensive line, which I think we're going to have reshuffled back to normal when they go to Iowa with Man back at right guard and Gonzalez at left.
1: Yeah, I think so and, and when those guys are in there, it's a more physical offensive line. Will Fry's got a lot of potential, but for his first start, he, he was fine, um, but when you put Brandon Mann back on that line, I think it's a different dynamic when you're a run-blocking team, so I, I don't know that all those negative plays will go away. There's still, you know, that's the, the, the nature of the offense, but at the same time, uh, they're going to be able to move the ball, I think, a little bit better on the ground moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I think it blew up a little bit more than than people thought, just because it's been so fresh in the memories. I mean, I, George State had only a couple tackles for loss at halftime, and then you're dealing with you know an offense and a defense in the second half that that's not your first teamers rolling out the entire time. So I think you take it in context. Um, film findings that I had from from film study, we're gonna have a tail of the tape. Of course, you know, both of them will be up by Monday night. Um cornerbacks really impressed. You know, Christian Campbell had an outstanding pass breakup. Grant Haley, another interception, in the second straight game. And, you know, overall this secondary played very well. And I can't believe it's taken us almost six and a half minutes to get to Marcus Allen. First career pick for him. Yeah, it's great. He's it, kind
1: of uh got off the schneid there with uh, with that pick and I know a lot of people wanted to see him run it back, but yeah, he was he was in the right spot at the right time. I think it's just a load off his back. I mean, he, I have yeah. no doubt that he's sick of answering that question. And and the, I, I think when you were taking a look at him as a potential pro prospect, you say, where are the turnovers, where are the impact plays? You know, maybe this will start something and, and and have a little bit of a domino effect. But yeah, Marcus Allen with a pick. Tariq Castro Fields with a phenomenal play yes. down the field. I thought those young corners, and, and they played, I think, three freshman corners last night. Um, i I thought they were solid um, did some really good things and, and for that unit to continue to grow I think is a big deal because as you mentioned that they were huge uh,
0: against Georgia State I'm glad you brought up the freshman corners because the snap counts posted you know both uh, on Sunday 73 different players saw time either on offense or defense part of that is skewed a little bit by the final kneel down. So Penn State had players on there for the first time in their careers. Uh, but when you're able to rotate almost a, an entire full roster in, in a single game, it just does wonders. Particularly, it's the third game of the season. All that experience. And you know Lamont Wade showed up big. Tariq Castro field significant time. Their freshman defensive ends, too, led the way in snap counts uh, outside of Ryan Buckles. Yeah, and Shaka Tony was uh, tremendously
1: quick off the edge. Daniel Joseph, who we haven't seen much and was a little bit buried and, and overshadowed by by Tony and Shane Simmons in that redshirt freshman class. He looked great coming off the edge. He forced that fumble. Um, he's got a great motor. Um, he's a guy that we projected to maybe move down inside and be a defensive tackle down the line, but I don't see that anymore. I see him as nope. a defensive end. He's got a great burst off the edge, and and when he puts that together, and I think that's the thing, he came in very raw. I mean, he's Canadian, so those guys are sometimes a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of development. Uh, played in a not great league in, in the Chicago area, but the physical potential is there. Um, he can come off the edge and, and and really do some damage and he's a guy that I think is going to contribute in the next couple of years. You're going to hate me for
0: this. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you saying Daniel Joseph, noted Canadian, is behind the eight ball? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, there's that first two-star rating. I'll be doing the, okay. <laughs> doing the rest of the pod solo. Um, Alright, we, we've thrown in a ton of names. 56 to nothing speaks for itself. Let's wrap it up. Game ball. I think there's only one name that really comes to mind in terms of the guy who deserves the ball in the locker room at the end. Number
1: nine. Trace McSorley was sharp, um, as he was not last weekend. I mean, he was on point. He only threw a couple of bad balls, and and I liked him as a runner as well. I mean, he he was yes. able to pull that out. And he got the bootleg touchdown. I think it counted for five touchdowns on the night. And, and granted, the competition is what it is. But you know, he was he was on point going down the field as well. So loved what I saw out of number nine on Saturday night. And uh, you know, if they can get that guy for the rest of the season,
0: they're they're going to be a problem for. Him. 18 of 23 for more than 300 yards, as you mentioned, five total touchdowns. And again, I think the bigger point about this, too, is you saw him against Pitt, wasn't as sharp. And if he repeats a performance like that, then right or wrong, there's still some cause for concern, I think, on the periphery when you head into Iowa two straight games where he's not quite himself. This put all of those doubts or concerns just immediately to bed. A perfect first drive, you know, seamless pretty much from there on out. Uh, and then against a defense that was known for really preventing big plays they had seven chunk plays through the air, and of course a lot of that starts with him so game ball goes to McSorley um, but now fifty-six to nothing typically is the highlight of your day. Depending on how things go for Penn State recruiting-wise down the road, that might not been the best part of Saturday for them. Yeah, I mean they're
1: they're going to definitely build on this as as a suddenly big recruiting weekend, which is we labeled it at the end of last week. Um, Micah Parsons in town, Jason Oa, uh, Antonio Alfano from Jersey in the twenty nineteen class, and of course Chris Tyree and, and Julian Fleming. I'll talk about those the second guys or excuse me those last guys first. Uh, I mean, the 2020 class, by the time that comes around, if, if this ship is still rolling like it is, they're going to have a, a, you know, a very good uh, chance to pick and choose who they want on offense, especially from the region. And Chris Tyree uh, is from that six-hour radius down in, down in Virginia. Uh, Julian Fleming right down the road in Southern Columbia. So that's a big deal. So if you can get um, those guys in your backyard, whereas Fleming is the number one receiver in the country. Tyree's the number one running back in the country. If this thing is still rolling by then, Penn State is going to have a tremendous shot at both of them. Yep. I believe I saw Steve Wiltfong put in a, a crystal ball pick for Chris Tyree uh, for Penn State. This That's all one, on hear. Sunday morning. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Penn State's got some serious momentum. Um, and and you saw that with the, the 2018 2019 class with the relation, the the long term relationships paying off with guys like Ricky Slade, um, and I and I see this being a situation where it could repeat itself in the 2020 class. The 2019 class, as we talked about before, is down in the region, so you got to pick and choose your spots there, and then and then move forward to 2020. So uh, a great start there, and and of course they're not even wrapped up with the 2018 class right now. Micah Parsons, uh, that 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 entire recruitment has been up and down and back and forth. And it's tough to pinpoint it. But, um, you know, if Penn State wants to be in there, I think they're going to be in there. And and I think that that that's something that's left open to interpretation because, you know, things have changed so much since his Ohio State official visit. I mean, all of a sudden he comes back around, uh, you know, reestablishes contact with the staff. It it was basically, you know, all over the staff uh, in the week leading up to the game. So, has there been a change of heart? Has there been a one eighty turn? I think that might be something that's in the process, and and if he does what they want him to do, and, and there's no pressure on Penn State right now. I mean, the way that this recruitment is going, the no, way that Penn State, almost. yeah, the way that Penn State's class is filled up, there's no pressure on Penn State. So if they want him and they want to uh, take that opportunity to to make that move, I think they can. So I think that's a big deal. And uh, you know, if Parsons comes around, and does what they want him to do, then you know, I think there's a very good shot of him ending up at Penn State. Uh, now, granted, on the other side they're they're full i mean there's yeah. so many kids so many kids that are still being recruited by them but not many spots and what's interesting about that is on the heels of that and you'll see this by the time this podcast posts i put in a crystal ball pick for penn state for tyreek smith i think they're in a tremendous spot for smith as well and
0: that's not even getting to Jason Oway, who made the trip on Saturday night. So That was the biggest news heading into the weekend, was the yeah. fact that immediately on the heels of that Ohio State visit, he's back in town saying, it's been too long since I was in Happy Valley. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really... I mean, and he had a game Saturday. Yeah, he had a game Saturday afternoon,
1: and they hopped in the car. Of course, uh, Taz Bateman, who plays for Georgia State, was a Blair Academy kid, so the coaching staff from Blair Academy wanted to get down and see him as well, but it's a great sign to get away back on campus, and for him to make that kind of effort, I know his coaches drove him and all that stuff, but for him to make make that kind of effort on the heels of an Ohio state visit says a lot. So Penn state probably in a better situation than they saw themselves being in even a couple months ago. And they already had a great class at that point. Right. So I don't know, man, it's just, there's so many targets left on the board and this isn't even talking about guys like Rasheed Walker and Solomon Enos and, and Tyler Friday and Rick Sandage from, from Carolina. So some of these guys may, might take official visits, but yeah. where's the room? I don't know.
0: It's going to be fascinating to follow this uh, all the way up through the signing day in December. I feel like I'm lucky to be sitting next to you through all of this because uh, I don't know how people on the other end of this podcast feel, but I am a bit lost. And it is fascinating. And you're able to sift through it. And you and know, Steve do such a great job there. So, you know, I, I don't have to tell people listening to this podcast, but but stay tuned and, and keep the site bookmarked, you know, as each of these things unfold. Because while well, Parsons and OA and, you know, perhaps Smith have these longer dates of when they're expected to announce and decide, so much has changed, as you mentioned, even in just the last week. OA and Parsons at Ohio State, things trending up for them. You know, events transpire, and here we are where where they're both kind of perhaps training back towards Penn State. But that's just, you know, I don't have to tell you life in recruiting. Right, and Smith and O.A. both say that they're going to announce at the Under Armour game.
1: It doesn't always work out that way. But, I mean, you've obviously seen Tyreek Smith's fall visit plans, which is just basically a who's who of college football, uh, checking out some of the best games in the country. Yeah, I've told you multiple times, I would happily swap schedules with him. (laughs) Insanely jealous of of him being able to do that. And and that's great for him. I mean, he's going to get a chance to see some of the best college football that, you know, you'll ever see. But, yeah, it's... uh, it's going to be a heck of a ride. And, and just talking to the people that I talk to inside the program, they're not even sure what kind of direction it's going to go in.
0: And to me, that's a good sign. Yeah. Life dealing with 17, 18-year-old kids. Fantastic. It never ceases to uh, surprise. <laughs> All right. Moving on to something that carries very little surprise, Iowa football. It is your father's, your grandfather's football. The Hawkeyes right now with 3-0, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, 31-14 win over North Texas but not without a cost their star running back Akron Wadley suffered a first half injury did return to the sidelines and was dressed but did not see any more action no update as of now as we record on his status but he will be the game record Penn State labels you know later on this week when they get into their preparation that's the guy they have to stop if they want to you know, come out of Iowa City with a win and that'll be a big deal because he's a a
1: very talented back now granted Iowa's got some talent in that backfield beyond beyond him yes but I mean it's sort of like uh, with Saquon Barkley. if he goes down, you've got some decent, you know, some good talent behind him and good backs, but they're not going to be Saquon Barkley. I feel the same way about Wadley. Um, I think he's, uh, you know, an All Big Ten type talent in a year that's got some pretty good running backs in the Big Ten. So
0: um, it'll it'll be interesting to see because that will be a game changer if he's not able to go. Now Iowa secondary took a big hit, most notably with the graduation to Desmond King. A lot of starters returning there. You didn't see it so much in that win over North Texas. However, Iowa State lit them up for 41 points in Iowa's. Overtime victory two weekends ago. Uh, That one was in Ames. And it's funny to watch this defense because you know what you're going to get a lot of, you know, two high shells and they're going to run a lot of, you know, zone coverage and try to, you know, stick with their seven in the box, which, of course, we saw did not work out at all in Happy Valley a year ago. Um, But September 2nd, their opener against Wyoming, they hold Josh Allen, perhaps the best quarterback prospect in his upcoming draft class. You know, even Sam Darnold included in college games, different from the NFL, so isn't saying that Allen's better than him. Nonetheless, Wyoming had three points. Yeah. Against them in the opener.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, I'm not sure how to pin down this this Iowa team because I think they you know, they're, they're not going to do anything different than we've seen before. But at the same time, I mean, they've put up some points uh, against mm-hmm. Iowa State in a rivalry game, which you know how hard that that is to do. They put up 31 points over the weekend. I don't think this is a team that can score with Penn State, but you're going into an atmosphere that's as tough as any in the Big Ten, uh, especially as a night game. So I mean, there's there's certainly question marks there. Penn State's going to have to be to improve running the football to uh, to to get some clock. The thing that I take away from the Iowa game last year is Penn State was so much faster than, yeah. than them, and and it showed up. And then they go out and beat Michigan the next week. I mean, what? I'm not sure
0: what what happened, but with uh, Michigan, with all the reason and motivation in the world, to right. go in there and lock up, you know, a bid into the Big Ten championship. Yeah, and I can see Iowa doing something similar to what Pitt did
1: and slowing the game down. You know, Pitt did it so they didn't get blown out, but Iowa's got a chance to keep this one close. And if they can keep, uh, you know, keep the ball from going downfield, uh, put a lid on Jasicki, and,
0: and and sort of take away some of those playmakers, they got a shot. Right, and I would expect you know Penn State's experience against Pitt in certain ways. Uh To be very helpful for this game, because offensively they're going to want to play a similar style, and not for the fact that they're under center, but it's going to be a ball control. keep away from Penn State's offense and just keep them sidelined because that was arguably the biggest factor in that game going thirty three to fourteen is just the fact that Pitt held onto the ball so long two weekends ago if Iowa can do the same thing, but with a home crowd at their back and a couple good defensive plays here or there, you know you're looking at a tight game in the fourth quarter, you know almost no doubt because offensively they hold on the ball and then you feed wildly. The other name I'll leave you with is Nick Easley, Iowa's leading receiver. He's got 16 catches so far this year. New to the team because he was most recently a Juco All-American. So while still limited in the passing game, they got a new quarterback in Nathan Stanley, who so far, though, uh, and this leads into our next segment, 10 touchdowns, only one interception. He's relied a lot on Easley and had a lot of success doing so. I think you'll see that matchup with Grant Haley Uh, be a great one on Saturday. Now I mentioned the 10-to-1 ratio. Why? Because now entering predict the presser. This is my number one with a bullet stat that I think you are going to hear recited by James Franklin on Tuesday. Maybe second only to the Wadley injury. Actually, um, I, I think they're going to talk about
1: that a lot because that is something when when you talk about James Franklin's approach to his own team, keeping that injury information confidential is something that they really you know strive to do. And on the other hand, they look for any sort of. Uh, you know uh, inkling of whether or not a guy like Wadley will be back so it, it, it's pretty funny when you when you talk about the secrecy but at the same time they're trying to find you know they're they're going to parse articles they're going to look uh, oh, everything. at message board. they're going to look at everything i mean that's just what every um every big staff has people that do that so i think that that, that the Wadley injury is going to be a very important part of the presser um, just because the mystery is around it because it's going to dictate what they try to do so uh, yeah I think he's going to go with the, uh, the the 10 to 1 ratio is huge because they're going to protect the football and they're, and I think he's going to steal a page from us he's going to talk about them being your father's Iowa team I mean they don't do anything different he's got a ton of respect for do Kirk do we get Furner, that right? phrase like this is your grandfather's Iowa team <laughs> if he's listening I'm sure i will pull that out okay. but yeah um, I think uh, the the tremendous amount of respect for the coaching staff there yes. as he always has but, right. but uh, with Iowa I mean they've been there forever I mean he, he's been in Iowa longer than James Franklin's probably been, you know, a a major assistant or head coach. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a lot of the same, and that's probably what we expect next week against Iowa.
0: Another one. You will hear this phrase on Tuesday, quote, they do what they do. We mentioned it before, stylistically, Iowa very much the same. Um, Some small tweaks offensively, defensively, pretty much the same scheme you're going to find year to year. So I think you will hear Franklin recite the 10-to-1 touchdown-to-pass ratio for quarterback Nate Stanley, and then the phrase, they do what they do. Uh, now, something we do every week, who will he name as the Offensive, Defensive, and Special Teams Player of the Week for the George State win? I've got Trace, uh, no-brainer there. Yep. And,
1: and we haven't even talked about Barkley. And that's something, <laughs> because that catch and run, the 85-yard yeah. touchdown, was absolutely special. Uh, There's no reason that any human should not have gone out of bounds at about the 50, but uh, he, he turned on the Jets and just took off. I mean, that was that was an incredible catch and run. I think my
0: tweet just was sweet Jesus of Nazareth because that's the only thing besides, oh my God, oh my God, look at him go, that I had to offer. Because it's just, you know, right onto the highlight reel. And Franklin Zip, after the game, he he stopped being surprised by Barkley long ago, and I get that. But there is just no ceasing the amazement that yeah. surrounds this kid and it was it was stunning the shock may go away but the awe is is certainly there so I mean, but he doesn't take the, uh, no, he, the he doesn't get the game ball trace okay.
1: trace was sharp he had five touchdowns accounted for
0: uh, i think there's no doubt he about also that. had it last week i don't i think someone had that
1: um don't remember i right? washed wash don't. that out you, you need to focus on the present
0: you know, yeah, we're on to Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. 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 Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, defensively, you mentioned the corners earlier. Uh, uh, I have Grant Haley, uh, another pick, uh, another solid game, but I, I could have picked any of those corners. Okay. And special teams? Uh, I'm going to go with Kyle Vesey, the, the snapper. Um, yep. I don't think Penn State did enough on special teams other than you know the missed field goal by Tyler Davis is is going to get that. Blake Gillikin will probably get it, but I, I'd like to give Vesey a little bit of, of credit. Uh, the snaps were on point, and, and that's uh, an underrated aspect of the game, especially coming from a, f- a former long snapper myself. For sure.
0: And that's honestly where I'm only going to diverge here. I've got Trace Offensive Player of the Week. Defense, I'm going to go the entire cornerback's room because, as I mentioned, that was something that jumped out to me immediately on the tape. You know, three interceptions says a lot, but also holding Connor Manning, who was a sharp quarterback for Georgia State, um, to just 133 yards passing. And then you've got the backup Winchester in there, who's more of a a scramble guy. I think the corners did their jobs, did it very well all the way around. Special teams, I'm going to go with Gilkin. Three punts, he averaged better than 45 yards per boot, and two of them dropped inside the 20. So, you know, he did his job about as well as you could. So we'll I, see how things I think, shake out. I think it'll be Gillikin too, but I just want to give Vessie his, his due. I think. Well, you know, if any games to kind of give someone their due, you know, if his snaps are on point, I think this would probably would have been the week because you know, coverage teams were good. So it was DeAndre Hopkins, but not to the degree that each of them were a week ago. So then that leaves Tyler Davis, who mentioned is was not going to win because he had a miss. And they did not get that kickoff return touchdown that I called for last week, mm. as they
1: only had one kickoff return, and that's why I hedged my bets.
0: I was so close to a couple defensive scores, though. Marcus Allen one, because that was my bold prediction for last week, too. Right. Glad we don't do accountability for that. It's just Predict the Pressure oh, that we're doing. Zero look back. accountability here. Yeah. <laughs> zero accountability. Um, all right. Well, that wraps up Predict the Pressure. You heard it here first. All the things that you'll hear from James Franklin on Tuesday. And last but not least, the mailbag. Three questions. Uh, what do we have up first? Is Tommy is the Tommy
1: Stevens package turning into a second tight end uh, sort of scheme with a more athletic player,
0: or is it is it no longer a gimmick? What do you think? You know, it's funny that the question leads out with the tight end part because that's how we've seen him enter the game uh, more recently. Whereas against Akron, you know, the point that I made in my third takeaway at tape was don't expect a lot from this because you are not better as an offense than Saquon Barkley sidelined, and that's who Stevens replaced when he initially went on. And I I left it open to the possibility that, of course, he could replace a receiver. He could replace a tight end. And that's what he's done since is take Mike Kosicki off the field. So I wouldn't qualify him as a, quote, second athletic tight end target or whoever that was put. Um, it's not a gimmick for sure. The interesting part about this, and I wrote about it uh, the other night, was that essentially the majority of what they do with Stevens and McSorley— are concepts that are already built in and installed. The reads are the same. You know, the motions are the same. It's just putting Stevens in that role where you have a threat now of a throw that puts additional stress in the defense. Which, again, we talk about schemes so much, and it is important. It's something that I have an interest in. But that matters not at all unless you can teach it. So they've cut down on any installation by just taking the same concept and putting a new twist on it and just getting, you know, the, the, the players to accept it and be able to execute it. And that, uh, I think, is really the genius behind Moorhead system, which is a conversation for another day. Long answer to this is not a gimmick. It's not a tight end specific. He can jump into a number of different roles and we've seen him. He's already scored touchdowns in, in three different ways offensively. Yeah, and, and how
1: many times have we seen uh, Jasicki come across the formation like Stevens got on his touchdown yesterday? So, as you mentioned, it's concepts that are already in there. I do see it as a gimmick, but uh, gimmick doesn't have to be I have a negative connotation to it. You know what I mean? I, I mean, you're putting two quarterbacks out there. It's a gimmick. But at the same time... I mean that can be a very a positive, very good threat. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just like the option, you know. That triple option a gimmick, but there are teams that you know go out and run it very successfully and 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 you know really move the football. So uh, I, I do think it's a gimmick, but at the same time, I mean it's it's an effective one so far. And if they can continue to do that, and you
0: know they did it last year against Iowa as well, so I, I expect to keep seeing it. Yeah, I, I still maintain we won't see a whole lot of it per game. I, I think Stevens is so valuable just as that insurance policy. If McSorley goes down, you don't want to lose him for an eight-yard jet sweet yeah. um, but you know we'll see more of this it's such a weapon again as I tweeted about and, mentioned multiple times in the high red zone and they've been excellent in that area through three games and you have
1: to take the time to prepare for it I think that's the big yeah. thing and and using Tommy as and we'll coin the the, the term a flex fullback you know we can go there um, using that it, it gives you it takes time in the film room it, you're going to have to put your scout team through it and just just be ready for it so I, I think it's something that, uh, that is going to benefit them even if they don't use it okay
0: uh, moving on, and somewhat relatedly, do offensive coordinators, quote, own, end quote, their playbook? Anything keeping someone like Ricky Ronnie from taking it should Joe
1: Moorhead leave. Well, I think that James Franklin had an identity as an offense when he came here, and he brought that with him. And, and obviously, John Donovan was the guy at that time, and and I think he he has had to stray from that because of the situation where they weren't putting up the, the points and not really fitting into the Big Ten. So, I think Joe Moorhead's offense is now James Franklin's offense, and I think given the success he's had, Franklin would be foolish not to to grab onto it. So, the the short answer
0: is no, no. I I mean. Coaches, there are no copyrights here involved, right? X's coaches
1: adopt, I guess we we'll, we we'll use hand quotes on adopt things from other coaches all the time. They they, they steal stuff from other coaches all the time, every they week. Use it. Yeah, every every coach, every successful coach has elements of someone else's playbook in their playbook. So they don't own it. Yes, Penn State, you know, if Moorhead were to go somewhere else and they did elevate someone like Ricky Ronnie to the offense coordinator role, yeah, you can keep these same concepts. You can keep these same uh, that same playbook but at the same time a lot of that is the decision making a lot of that is the the play calls the adjustments and things like that and I think that's where Joe Moorhead puts himself on another level
0: and I'm so glad you mentioned that too because I feel like so often when we're talking about scheme and playbook you you take playbook as almost this book of spells and the reason I say that is you know here are some basic instructions you do this you know x y or z will just happen magically yeah yeah but but if you have your receivers run to a certain spot and the quarterback read x and y you're not going to always get those results because it's a matter are so much of the the teaching that goes on in between there and then the reacting and the adjusting and not even so much just on a, a game day basis but during the week when you're at practice what's working what's not how willing are you to be you know to adapt to what the defense is doing and you let out with James Franklin have to ditch his own system for this and that was a big move that has been the best he's a made good, since he's very good penn move. St- yeah, yeah th- that he's made since he's been at penn state so there's so much that goes into just being an offensive coordinator beyond you know what you're able to draw because as we've said so many coaches copycat it's what you're doing during the week to, to teach it to your players raise their level of play to the highest level possible and then bringing that all together in addition to the interaction with the defense and, and reacting to what they're doing so you know Penn State's going to run the same system. You'll see some tweaks if and when Joe Moorhead leaves. Uh, whether that's Ricky Rowney, I don't know. But, yes, this system is here to stay because no one owns uh, their system. They're just better running at it because you know they came up with it. Are you concerned about the
1: defense's inability to get consistent stops, uh, three and out, be physical, all that kind of
0: stuff? I, again, another question delivered. I always like the prefaces going by, my paycheck does not change no matter how Penn State does. Uh, so I'm not concerned, but if I were a fan and I'm watching this defense, I think that's an understandable reaction. You know, you've had two shutouts, but in both those instances, you saw offenses drive a little bit before either coughing up the ball in a turnover or going backwards and then punting with Akron and Georgia State. And Pitt, as we mentioned earlier, just held onto the ball for almost 40 minutes. So, I would say yes, but not so that it, it tells us anything new. It more underscores what we knew about this defense. And if there's a weak point is that there's a lack of kind of these game changers, these guys that you identify saying, we have to double team X up front. We need to throw away from Y on the outside or the safety, you know, can come up and force a fumble or have a pick on any given play. There are not many players like this on Penn state's defense. You know, they're greater than the sum of their parts when they're at their best and um, but there is hope, and this was something that Franklin talked about post game with regards to you know we're playing a little bit deeper than probably we should. Yeah, I think that that you hit the nail on the head with that last point. They're playing a lot of guys,
1: so to get the consistency to 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 flow from one drive to the next when when you're replacing four or five, maybe even six guys at a time, uh, that's that's a big deal. Uh, at the same time, yeah, I think it is concerning that the the defense has not been as physical, and I think one of the biggest disappointments through the first three weeks is the linebacker play. Uh, you know, Kabinda was fairly non existent on Saturday night. Uh, you know, the, the, those outside linebackers have missed some tackles at some times. So, um, but yeah, when you when you get away from from what you do best, and I think this team was strong up the middle, at least they appeared that way, and they haven't been that way in the last couple of weeks. So, I think there that's where the concern lies with me. You want to get them off the field, obviously get that offense back on the field as much as possible, but yeah, I have questions about the linebackers, and
0: and really through three weeks they haven't gone away. Right, and and I meant playing deep, not only just the roster, but also schematically. I mean, we've seen the secondary has been a big plus for them because of how much you know they've been able to attack receivers, create pass breakups, and as we mentioned, three interceptions against Georgia State. That's been a change in approach. The the personnel there has been the same, and arguably you know been a little bit worse with the loss of John Reed. Compared to the cornerbacks and the safeties from a year ago, they could still be better than they were in 2016. But the reason that will be the case, or could be the case, is that they've been more aggressive. So, together as a defense, I think you could see them close the gap a little bit, you know, when they're in their zone drops, or perhaps they blitz a little bit more. And that's a way to kind of create turnovers when naturally you don't have players who are just going to generate those type of plays uh, on their own. So, there is more potential there outside of the fact that this defense should just get better as the season goes on. But as you mentioned, yeah, you know, it's been peculiar really peculiar watching that linebacker group and just the lack of you know explosiveness there you know we see them jump into plays but it's not so much to to come away with a tackle for a loss or you know to pop the ball out yeah and week one it was i think the defensive line dominated
1: week two the defensive line took a step back and the linebackers weren't there to fill the void so as this i think as this defense starts to uh see the snap counts for the veterans and and the guys that you the starters yes. go up and and go down for the younger guys i think it's going to be a little bit more consistent but yeah i think the secondary's been been pretty darn good they 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 cover a lot of ground back there and i know we talk about allen we talked about the corners but troy Apke, i, I know people are looking for him to be bad like people are looking for a reason to replace troy Apke with aaron monroe or nick scott or something like that but he hasn't done anything to to, to to warrant that.
0: Yeah, and let's you know, we've said it before, let's knock out all the white guy cliches up front. Like this this guy runs a 4 four forty, and he's not alone in that secondary. You look at Christian Campbell, Grant Haley, Lamont Wade, Tree Castor Fields, all in that range. They've got speed to run with, guys, which I think lends itself to you can take more risk schematically and in, in your approach. And I think that's helped generate um, some more of those pass breakups that we talked about. But yeah, Apke's been very solid. He leads right now, all Penn State defenders and snap counts. Um, and, and another snap count, no, we talked about getting in that rotation. I think that'll settle Penn State. Kabinda has played 64 snaps total against Georgia State and Akron. He played 62 against Pitt alone. So we'll see that, you know, tighten up Rotation, defensive line, linebackers, and secondary—they're going to rotate guys. It's what they do, and I think it's a smart approach. But they'll find a rhythm more defensively, and I think that'll help because you're going to need to. Two of the next three games are on the road. Yeah, and, and we mentioned those snap counts are going to go down for those guys.
1: You know, the Jarvis Millers and and you know the guys that you know you're trying to get and cultivate that depth and develop a little bit more. I think those numbers are going to go down, and, and you're going to see a little bit more of a consistent defense, and they're going to need that the next couple of weeks. They will.
0: Big week against Iowa. Last year, as we heard, one of their best weeks of practice is leading up to that 41-14 win they had over the Hawkeyes at Happy Valley. I don't think we'll see a repeat of that at Kinnick Stadium. I'm not going to go so far as to say Penn State shouldn't be as horribly favored, uh, because I think they will be and should be. But we've got lots more to dig into the Hawkeyes, and we'll do so on Friday when we see you back here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.